Hello, this is Saul Luckman. It's my pleasure to welcome you to Conversations on Saul Luckman Uncensored, sponsored by snoozetoawaken.com, resources for lucidity. For more information about my work, including a lot of fantastic free content, check out crowrising.com. I'm also now on Telegram, where I'm sharing daily truth bombs at t.me slash Saul Luckman. Today, for the first time, I have the great honor of interviewing my longtime friend and colleague, author Brendan Murphy, whose freedom-inspiring and thought-provoking work you should definitely check out at brendandmurphy.com. A self-described truth addict, Brendan is the co-founder of the Truth, T-R-O-O-T-H, social network, as well as the host of the Truthiverse podcast. His acclaimed nonfiction epic, The Grand Illusion, a synthesis of science and spirituality, is regarded as essential reading by many students of the physical and metaphysical sciences, yours truly included. In addition to collaborating on a pandemic spoof video that YouTube actually banned, titled How the Deep State Stole Christmas with Brendan, I've had the great pleasure of publishing a number of his brilliant articles on my blog. Some of the juicier titles, to which I'll provide links in the show notes, include Five Historical Vaccine Scandals Suppressed by the Establishment, Cognitive Dissonance, Conditioning, and Reality Creation, Killing Ourselves to Flatten the COVID Curve, Why Scientific Peer Review is a Sham, Especially in Medicine, Why You Should Not Trust Medical Experts, a bridge to the mystical, the entanglement of physics and mysticism. 432 DNA tuning and the Nazization of music. And finally, junk DNA doorway to transformation. Thanks for joining me today, Brendan. In the aftermath of your daring escape from Australia, a subject I very much want to discuss. How the hell are you? Oh, well, I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good, man. Thank you for having me on. It's, uh, yeah, it's been a long time coming and it's, uh, it's good to to make it happen all right yeah i mean uh, you know you you took the uh the leap into the podcast averse before i did and, and you've been doing very well and i thought heck you know if brendan can do it maybe i can do it half as good you know so here <laughs> we are so where are you exactly i mean if that's not like confidential information and you're not being you're not being hunted down by australian authorities <laughs> uh not that i'm aware of um we're in the state of jalisco in mexico these days i know it well I know it well. Are you anywhere near the beach or are you back towards the interior? We're not coastal. No, we're more inland. So uh, so how did you get there? Because, you know, uh, one day you were in Australia and the next you weren't. There they are. It's the authorities. They're coming after you. <laughs> That's a knock at the door. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Yeah, we, uh, well, how did we get here? Um, we, how much of a backstory do you want? I just want the logistics of the transport situation <laughs> well i heard little little drips and drabs as you as you went through that process i mean what inspired you to leave i mean maybe that's obvious but what was your personal experience of that if you could briefly share that and then walk us through how it happened because it seems like it was a difficult thing to to pull off and then maybe bring us up to date yeah so basically um fair enough we we were, I don't know, somewhere in 2021, I think, maybe 2020. Um, and, you know, we would, we would just sort of, I never really felt like the area we were living in was sort of, you know, going to be our forever kind of place. Um, but we were looking around at the landscape and, and I just sort of said to Amy one day, you know, if, if this insanity is going to 
carry on for, for too much longer. I don't know if I'm down for hanging around for it, you know. So it was like pretty relatively early on in, in this hoax that I was sort of like, yeah, this is this is not this is not right. <laughs> People have lost their minds in Australia and and you know there was just way too much compliance and um, and fear and paranoia and and I, and so you know in the end we sort of let it um, simmer for for some months and then um, somewhere in I don't know it might have been October or somewhere thereabouts of um, of last year we decided to pull the trigger on it maybe a little bit earlier but then you know you got a you got a one year old or a toddler who's heading towards one and you I'm losing you a little bit there I don't know if you can hear me. I was having some internet problems earlier. So if it's me, I apologize. Let's see here. Let me see. It froze up. I don't know what to do when that happens. Are you there? Oh, yes, I'm back. Okay, great. Yeah, you froze up. And I don't know if it's you or me because I was having some internet problems earlier. So you know, ah, okay. I don't know where you were. You were you had you were talking about having a child. You had a you had that going on, and uh, part of your decision making process, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah. Even though we had her, and it was like, well, I mean, it, I guess in a way, it's a good age to to sort of move because they're too young to have any like attachments to, you know, friends or that kind of thing. I might not even have any friends as such. Um, and they're just basically, you know, they're around you twenty four seven. So. Um, yeah, we packed up our stuff in a mad rush and, and got out because when we were in the process of, of selling our stuff and, and packing, um, they started talking about the, the moronic strain and um, we just sort of went, oh, okay, here we go. We can, see, we can see the writing on the wall here. And they started talking in, in the media. They were, they were trumping up this, this sort of um, COVID hype around our area, specific, the specific region we actually lived in, and they were trying to target it and create a fear campaign around, um, you know, what I like to call Cooties 19 and, um, and, and try to rally, you know, sort of boost, basically scare people into going and lining up for the, for the pointy thing, right? Is this the Byron Bay area? This is, yeah, that's the Byron Bay area. And so the rates for, for jabs around there are uh, notoriously, famously low. They're actually nearby in surrounding areas, of an, an area, a, a town, a little country town called Mullumbimby, which has the, apparently the, the nation's lowest um jab rates so it's it's sort of kind of a good area it's like strangely the highest health rates yeah what a coincidence right amazing um yeah so we could go off on that tangent but uh that was that was sort of the writing on the wall we were like oh should we we have to go now like we can't sort of hang around we've got to do this yeah, we got this email, this kind of like spy email from you that was like, okay, we're, we're absconding, we're leaving the country in like a day or a week or something crazy like that. It would just sort of hit us like out of nowhere. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was It was absolutely nuts. Like if it wasn't for our, our nanny, who was, who's also one of our best friends, like she was there at the house after we left trying to sell the couches for us <laughs> while we were gone. Um, which she did and so you know if it wasn't for the the help that we had we would have been in a bit of a tight situation but yeah so we it was a 70 i think it was 70. we're cutting out again i have this nice still shot of you uh very very happy looking uh photo let's see if you come back around oh this reminds me of mexico 
Hey there now. I'm back. I'm back. Yeah, yeah. It was I was not, you know, I had this really nice smile on your face where you froze. You know, you look like now now it's uh now the uh do you have your microphone on? Uh yeah, can you hear me? I do. Yeah. You don't have any issues, are you? Yeah, I did. Are we having any internet issues that you know of? No, have you got your thing on? Yeah, yeah. I think it might be. Maybe maybe it's on your end, so it's possible. <laughs> um, I mean, it's weird because I almost never have that, and then I was having that earlier. So um, anyway, must be one of those days. All right, yeah, something you know, the archons <laughs> definitely interfering with us, and they're out to get us, man. They really are. So uh, yeah, did, did you uh, hop a commercial flight, or what was that like? Yeah, we we just flew, um, you know, normal. Um, um, what do you call it? Standard, yeah, commercial. All right, all right. So that wasn't an issue because I was I was under the impression that wasn't so easy to do to actually leave the country. Well, yeah. Um, at the time, you had to apply to our loving overlords for a travel exemption to leave the country. Um, which you know, I mean, it's you basically send a one-page letter to the department and there's some someone's there some some poor soul sitting at the computer having to read this this rubbish that people are sending in these applications um and we just yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm wanting to go to mexico and become a coyote is that <laughs> i want i'm really wanting to help the border situation in the united states yeah something like that yeah so no, i think that's just, cool that's great go please you know we we need all the fascism and and you know tyranny we can get <laughs> yeah yeah they were probably glad to see us see us go you know like it, it helps the ratio of of the uh the bootlickers to the the freedom lovers so uh yeah you're worth yeah. about a thousand of the of the, the bootlickers you know so that was you know you really shifted the balance <laughs> um i like to think so thanks for that yeah so we ended up um we made it here in when was it um uh, the very early days of December last last December, so we haven't been here that long, but we're we're starting to sort of find our Mexico groove now. And then you had uh, you had sort of some classic, uh, I, I don't know, uh, some bumps upon entry. You had a little bit of food poisoning and uh, that sort of thing. Yeah, that was that was not good. But <laughs> um, you got you actually got your your. Uh, apartment was robbed and you lost uh, some of the books that you brought you weren't you working on the sequel to the grand illusion and you had some some reference books with you and that sort of thing i've yeah i've lost a few books that uh, were unfortunately for the purposes of of research and writing which is annoying so i'll have to track track them down again um Lots the last couple laptops, of right <laughs> yeah <laughs> i don't know man they're after they're after my stuff um yeah, I literally had one copy left of of the Grand Illusion, which I was going to use as a reference for you know editing the and revising it, and uh, that's gone. So I have to order my own book again, which is. <laughs> oh, that's funny. I've been there. I've definitely been there. That's yeah. really funny. Um, how how far are you into the sequel, and what's the title? If you could give us a maybe a sneak a sneak peek, or do you have a working title for that? I've been toying with different different ideas for the title. I mean, it is the sequel of of you know book one, so it's going to be something something the Grand Illusion book two, and there might be a sort of more specific um, you know title or subtitle 
to clarify what it's talking about, <laughs> which is very heavily focused on um, afterlife research. Uh, so yes, that's uh, it's it's really I just need to um, knuckle down and spend a, a couple of months kind of just editing because it's it's already way too big. It's already significantly bigger than the the first volume, which was already huge. So I've kind of got to cut back, I think, which is going to be the challenge. Right, right. Do you, you ever think you you know just look at yourself in the mirror and say you know I have a writing problem. <laughs> yeah. yeah it's hard to start once you start man and i'm sure you can relate because you know you, you've got the you've got the knack as well yeah it's more like a you know an, an illness or something sometimes it's like you know it gets in your head and you just can't you can't move forward without getting it out of your head i like mm -hmm. to just download it and then i totally forget what i wrote oh yeah yeah i i, I like to joke that the reason i write it down is so i don't have to remember <laughs> Right, exactly. It's there, you know. I can go look it up if I need to. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Please just refer refer to my book. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, um, if you don't mind, uh, give us a little bit of information since we're on this topic uh, about the afterlife and the research that you discovered. What is what is your, if you could condense your take on what it is and how it works? How would how would you go about doing that? Well, that's a that's a huge question. Um, what the afterlife is and how it works. <laughs> Based on your research, I mean, how how are you presenting it in in this you know this voluminous package that you're you're working with here, this this new book? Well, I've kind of followed the format of book one in the sense of breaking like the chapters are kind of sequential in terms of the the subject matter that they tackle and it kind of has that kind of progression of like in, in like in book one I kind of had it in mind that I would be able to communicate with people who were uh, maybe sort of neophytes so to speak as well as people who are veterans and maybe people who are a little bit skeptical but wanted wanted the facts kind of thing um, and so I structured it in a way that it became more and more progressively more kind of woo and out there um, so it continues in that vein and I've just basically uh, it's it's you know, a lot of books on the subject are basically like collections of stories and, um, you know, like anecdotes, which, you know, which is good. And, uh, you know, we need that information. I've just taken it uh, and layered, layered it more in terms of, you know, like a scientific perspective, uh, more detail, like a mythological, symbolic, religious kind of analysis, as opposed to just having a collection of stories. So I'm in the detailed analysis of, you know, looking at it through the eyes of the, the hypnotherapists who are doing past life regressions, looking at it through the eyes of the children who have spontaneous, uh, you know, organic past life recall. And, you know, there's, there's just so much stuff. It's, uh, yeah, it's just massive. So what are the most compelling two or three examples supporting the concept of, of an afterlife from, from the research, from those uh, types of uh, situations, whether that's hypnosis or spontaneous recall in children or something else? Such a, it's so funny that you, you're asking me that question, put me on the spot. And it's like, I know so many examples, but to actually <laughs> think of them. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe really have to, you know, I know we, we didn't rehearse any of this, so that's absolutely fine. Maybe, maybe something will, will come to mind. I, I, I know um, I started reading uh, on this topic um, some years ago um, and 
I'm forgetting the the author's names now, but there was somebody who did a lot of studies in India uh, having to do with um, children in India who uh, recalled uh, uh, past lives, situations, who had weird birthmarks that lined up, who, you know, they discovered photographs of these kids and uh, it's just the exact same person. It's amazing. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it sounds like you're talking about um, Ian Stevenson. Yes, Ian Stevenson. That's right. That's right. Yeah. yeah, I mean, he was the he was he's the guru, he's the grandfather of the godfather of all this. Like, it's he collected so many cases like what you just described, and and it's it's I mean, if you look at his material, it's like, well, I mean, do we have a better explanation than reincarnation for this? It doesn't. It doesn't really look like it. Like the if you want to go to a lower, I don't know, downgrade it you know, in terms of the woo factor, you have to still invoke like some kind of psi, you know, collective unconscious or whatever it may be. And, um, and he did pull out so many of those stories where these kids were born and, you know, when they were like four years old or five years old, they started talking about this family that was in a town or a village, you know, not that far away. But, um, and, and they would say the names of relatives, or, sorry, the names of who people they believed were their family but they would talk about it in, in present tense like this is my this is the name of my dad and their family would be like what's happening here you know what's going on and they provide the names of other people members of the family and so yeah Stevenson what he did was to go and track it down he, he, he treated it like a detective would and he um and he you know he interviewed hundreds and hundreds of people and got you know thousands of pages worth of of research material and affidavits and things, documents signed by people and, you know, swearing that this is true and accurate and all this kind of thing. And, and he, it was like case after case after case where these kids were giving verifiable information about families they had absolutely no business in, in knowing about, um, but they had a really palpable um, emotional attachment to these families they'd never met before. And when they, they would finally meet them they'd be taken to meet them if their you know if their biological parents were open to it which in India they frequently were um, they would often become you know really emotional and maybe get super attached and, and emotionally involved with these families um, and sometimes they would sort of adopt them as their because they would say things that the only explanation that made sense to them was well you were you are the reincarnation of our child who's just died um, you know six months or a year ago or a couple of years ago and this is what makes sense. Like you seem to be the reincarnation of this, this soul that we lost. Um, and so, yeah, many, many cases just like that. It's, it's quite unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, fortunately, as you mentioned in that culture, there was a receptivity to the, to the concept. You, it's difficult to imagine a, a study along those lines happening in a lot of Western countries, although that might be changing as people get more and more open to things, but he absolutely picked the right place. And yeah, it was just story after story, just copious amounts of evidence that were, I mean, we're either dealing with an actual biological reincarnation or some kind of memory storage in the morphic field that people are tapping into and maybe misinterpreting it or something like that. Mm, yeah yeah either case That's, like you said you're dealing with some kind of very strange phenomenon yeah like there's no way there's no way around it um if you're a rational person you have to you have to concede that at the very least there's some kind of uh information storage happening that people can then tap into um but the interesting thing about it is it's like well you, you have to ask why and like why is this child so emotionally 
invested and involved in this? Like, why is it having such an impact? Like, it's so personal. Um, and it's those, those types of elements make you sort of think twice, well, at least as far as I'm concerned, they make you think twice about the just trying to reduce it to, a, oh, well, you're just picking up this information that's stored in the field, which, it, you know, everything, all the information is stored in the, in the field, but why is it picked up by this one child and not all these other people who could potentially tune into it? And why is this, why is it playing out the way that it is if it's just an information storage thing that could be, you know, it's like um, when people... Uh, clairvoyance and things tap into um, a, an object, hold an object, and then they, they can read the object and, you know, the information that's stored in it and they can read its history and all this kind of thing, like psychometry. Um, so I think it's something more than that. I, I do, you know, it's like, it's tough because we, we, our brains work in terms of like linear time and we conceptualize in terms of linear time and that's valid on one level, but then there's other, the other levels where it sort of breaks down and, and linear time doesn't really work. So you know, I take a reincarnationist view, but with a like an, a little asterisk next to it, saying you know it's it's not quite that simple. Oh right. So has has that been has doing immersing yourself in this research has that I don't know given you any kind of peace of mind about the the death and dying process or the fact that you know this is what happens. Uh, you know, a lot of people, you know, when when they discover jesus or whatever you know they they're suddenly you know more comfortable with with that phenomenon has have you experienced anything like that encountering this research and let me let me let me add to that question would readers of this book might be comforted uh knowing that this is a possible reality uh yeah i mean massively i mean i I don't see how you could make it to the end of of it and and not be altered by it (laughs) Um, you know, even as someone who's familiar with a lot of that material. Um, and yeah, like it, it, it is for me, like my, my, I always have a level, there's a part of me that's the, the skeptic, which is always there in the background, um, you know, doubting and critiquing things and try, trying to dismantle them. And uh, this kind of information and doing this kind of study over years is, is even for someone who's had like mystical experiences and things, um, and, you know, one or two quick little out of body type episodes, um, it is still, you know, it helps to counteract that that little skeptic skeptic chirping away, you know, on your shoulder, and and um, it does have that reassuring effect. I think I think um, a lot of people will find will find that when they when they do get their hands on it. Yeah, I really look forward to it. I mean, the first book was so mind blowing and expansive, and it went into so many different topics and territories. It sounds like this book is a little more focused on on a on a single subject. Is that fair to say? slightly it's uh it's no you have a tendency to weave things your mind is very holistic and so you're constantly weaving in additional information into into the storyline the narrative um but i'm wondering if it has a little bit more of a central focus it it is in terms of it's i guess the the focus of this um this book which is the you know technically the second half of the same book but separate volume its focus is more on discarnate reality. So that's the thread that weaves through it more so. And um, it's, yeah, it's going to be something that I'm pretty, I'm quite confident that it it will be, even though it's covering subjects that have been talked about for a a long time by a lot of different people, it's going to be, I think I've dealt with it in a way that no one else really has. 
Yeah, that's exciting. That's really exciting. And it's a very, very timely because we're in such a, we're, we're up against such a cult of death right now. And people are so terrified of dying and that's being leveraged against individuals and the collective in, in a way that I just didn't even think was possible, frankly. So I think, you know, your this book is really timely and could be extremely helpful in rolling back the tide of some of this just freakish paranoia. Mm, yeah, I'd like to I'd like to see that. I mean, I'd love to see that as a result. I mean. Um, you know, because you can't, one thing you, and I'm sure you've seen this over the last two years is you, we can't, we're not really winning any battles by directly tackling the, uh, the hoax, <clears throat> um, and in terms of reaching those people who are scared. So, uh, yeah, this, this is a more indirect way of, of helping them to sort of not be so afraid of, of, uh, that, you know, that big event at the end of the, <laughs> at the end of the little performance. Yeah, and also just the idea that we are so much more than this body and this personality, uh, you know, is, I mean, obviously that's that's one of the, the key elements of genuine spirituality. So you're tapping into something that's really fundamental to, I believe, the, the awakening and the growth process for, you know, us humans on this spiritual journey, right? Yeah, man, and, you know, I don't know about you, but when like the order of, 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 uh, or the, the stages of the awakening for me. And, and I've found out that this has been the case for a lot of people is it first, for me, it started with the spiritual awakening and that grounded, that grounded in that, that truth. And then because, because when you have that, your sense of identity becomes so much more expanded, then you can, you can go into places and deal with subjects that, you know, you might not be that well equipped to deal with. Um, so then you can start going into like the really dark, horrible rabbit holes and stuff. But that spiritual grounding I found is, is really key. And it's, um, yeah, it's, as you mentioned, it's quite, it's really missing. Um, and, you know, we have like, you know, we still have the, the mainstream religions and stuff, but they've become, you know, less and less relevant over the last few centuries. So we need, we need a, you know, like a mentality that's, not strictly scientific or not a scientistic kind of mentality and not uh, simply an orthodox religious mentality because we need something more now. Like we're, we're trying to evolve and we need to evolve a perspective that that um, kind of matches the the stage that we're at, I think. Yeah, I like I like that. I like the way you, you said it. I was listening to an interview with Jason Shurka. Are you familiar with him? He's a, he's a ufologist, exopolitics guy. He's written, written at least one book. Anyway, I, it's not someone I'm super familiar with. I just happened to catch some of an interview uh, based on this, you know, alleged whistleblower having to do with, you know, exopolitics and other other related uh, things. And Jason was pointing out that really spirituality is so much older than religion, and even the term New Age if you wanted to be honest about it, should apply to religion because religion came after spirituality. Mm. And I yeah. thought, you know, that's really a really uh, an excellent point. Mm. Yeah. And, and, you know, like people see the religion, particularly Christianity, Christianity is like a, it's a, like programming people into a hypnotic state that they can't, they, they put these blinkers on and then they can't see anything else outside of the, the, the canon, the dogma. Uh, but the, like you said, like I mean, human history is how many millions of years have, have humans been walking on this earth in some form or another as, you know, biped, bipedal creatures with, you know, a relatively higher level intelligence. Like 
we've got so much evidence that takes us back and, and this is very obscure and not well known in the mainstream at all because it's shoved under the rug intentionally and suppressed but you know we've got we've got evidence that modern like anatomically modern humans existed and were walking around the earth hundreds of millions of years ago not just one or two million years ago so it's like christianity showed up two century two millennia ago i mean that's that is new age if you look at the grand scheme of things it's 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 and it's cobbled together from all these different older smart, much more ancient sources you know they're taking from the, the the hindu system they're taking from all sorts of stuff that the the um and what's the word they like to throw around i'm having a mental blank now the um the religion, the nature religions that were there for millennia before Christianity was like formed. Gnosticism or the Gnostics or paganism. Yeah, the Gnostics. But uh, the, did you say pagans? That's the word I was looking for. Pagan, right? Yeah, like all this pagan stuff, and they've cobbled it all together and called it, you know, the the Book of Truth. You know, the one, the one and only truth. And um, and it's just, you know, it's massive plagiarism and and just yeah. So. It's, uh, but it's strange the way it hypnotizes people. And, and I don't think any, I've seen any kind of belief, at least not, none of the orthodox belief systems like that, that do in, induce people into that kind of such a rigid hypnotic state that they can't have any thoughts of their own or have any kind of, you know, critical thinking or, you know, whatever, what, what have you. So, uh, yes, big picture, it's like, man, that's 2000 years is, is the blink of an eye. And, and this is, We've been around a lot longer than that. We've been having spiritual experiences for a lot longer than that. And our, our state of consciousness has been evolving and changing. And, you know, humans who were around 5,000 years ago, 10,000 years ago, they didn't have a conscious experience like we have now. Um, like the actual sort of, you know, the state of subjective awareness has apparently shifted over time. And now we have more than ever, we have a higher level of capacity to actually conceptualize what it means to to be aware and to be conscious and to have consciousness and all this kind of thing. And we, when, when particularly Christianity was being formulated, um, the consciousness and the way the brain to soul interface, if you want to call it that worked was evidently quite different. Like if you look at the work that Julian James did um, in the uh, uh, what's it called? The, the origin of consciousness in the breakdown of the bicameral mind you know, he showed that we did not have the same type of interior experience back then. And it's evolved and shifted. And so the guys who, who were having experience, like visionary type experiences back then, were not able to conceptualize what was happening to them the way that we can now conceptualize it. So if they say, you know, God contacted me or whatever, then that was, that was as far as it went. It was like, well, okay, you've literally just been in contact with the creator of all things. Um, and we... We've come, we've come a long way since then, and the nature of, of the mind has actually changed since then. So now we should be in a position, and we are in a position, to actually take a more, a more meta perspective on this stuff and, and reanalyze it and look at it in a more holistic way, in a more historical way, in a scientific way, and pull it all together and say, hey, like, what's, what's actually going on here? And I'm not happy at all with, like, just settling for the ancient aliens thing as well, because if you read James, you, you have a whole different perspective on that that side of it too yeah say more about that and this is fascinating i'm this is really great stuff so carry on yeah. <laughs> well i mean he, he basically showed that there was a, a very by analyzing ancient um ancient texts that there was a way that the mind processed 
um, awareness and experience that is no longer functioning. And it was, I think it started to change now. I'm testing my memory here. I need to, need to go through this book again. But it was stolen. Will, hey? But it was stolen. <laughs> no, that was one of the ones that wasn't, thank God. Uh, so I can still work with that. And yeah, basically, I think it was, uh, it might have been, where are we? In the, hmm, don't quote me on this, okay? I'm testing my memory here, but uh, in the, say 1500 years or maybe 500 years uh, BC, somewhere in that ballpark leading up to, you know, the year zero was kind of when this radical sort of shift in awareness started to happen. Um, and the state of subjectivity in mankind was actually shifting away from this kind of archaic structure that most men and women still lived in and, and experienced but then you started having these these other people, these mutants who were um, different, and you know you start getting getting your types of more sophisticated, um, uh, more meta type individuals coming through. Um, can, I, can I ask you a question about that? Yeah, uh, I hope I can answer it. Well, I just want to interject because where does that where does that line up with the origins of Judaism? Ooh, that's a good question. Well, that's uh, oh, that's re- I think that's a very relevant time frame. Because so thinking- the reason I ask is that John Lash, in not in his image, discussed how the 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 human mind did change via the introduction of the patriarchal religions starting with Judaism, and he said that was the kind of initial seed for this archontification of the human mind. And then that that became kind of a disease state in Christianity, and then it metastasized into Islam. And that's his language, that's his language. Mm. And so what, what he, the way he interprets what, what you're describing with the changing of the bicameral mind is that it, this is a kind of archontic insertion of elements of their consciousness via the religious vector. And it's designed to change our perception from a holistic nature-oriented perspective to an artificial simulacrum type of perspective on everything, where everything becomes a kind of simulation and a computer program. And ultimately we become transhuman when we become essentially biological computers. Now, you know, I wrote about this in my book, Cowley the Destroyer. So this is a subject that's near and dear to, to my heart in many ways, but I've been fascinated by the Lashian slash Gnostic perspective on this change as something that may not be a positive thing, even though it appears more, quote unquote, to use your word, sophisticated. Yeah, so one of the things that I've been trying to, I've been trying to, as we've been speaking, trying to activate my memory here of, of Lash's material, and there's some really, really important stuff. And I know I'm probably forgetting most of it, but one of the one of the crucial things was that back in the it, before this shift started to happen, men and men had a um, an experience of consciousness where, if if in terms of volition and will. If somebody willed something, they didn't experience it the way we we experience our intention or our volition. It was it's like you know we we know we're familiar with our way of, of thinking and experiencing things, and like 
Um, you know, I'm going to get up out of my chair and go and grab a glass of water. And that's like the thought process. You know, we have a, an intention about it. Maybe we have a gurgling stomach telling us, you know, we're hungry. So we go, okay, I'm going to go grab some food or whatever. But they had, if you go back far enough, they had an experience of not their own internal um, consciousness having the idea. It was experienced as an external source. It was experienced as uh, what they would call a god or a, 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 a um, you know, whatever they, they particularly labeled it as in whatever culture they were in, but they might call it a god or a, a muse or, or something well, like that. They would call it, they would think of it as the earth or the goddess. And he was making the point that these early shamanic cultures worldwide were using different uh, technologies, often plant-based, spirit medicine-based types of technologies to have a direct communion with the goddess. And so they didn't, they didn't think they were necessarily in touch with the creator in some larger sense very often. They thought they were actually having an experience with, of, of mother nature. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's that's right, um, and that's a whole yeah the, the whole Gnostic mythology and, and experience there. That's that's a really interesting. Well, but um, well, just just to clarify where Lash is coming from, whether he's right or not, is a different question. But he was saying that what we call Gnostic is very limited geographically, but he he's making the case that these early shamanic cultures all over the world were having similar experiences of the goddess, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, yeah. And that's probably true. That's probably true. So what James was showing was that our experience in whether you don't, whether you're taking plant medicine or not, or like even if you take all the sort of shamanic stuff away, we were just intrinsically different, and we would experience like it was commonplace and ordinary for you to hear the voice of a god or or the god, if you know you interpret it like that, and to experience the commands that you hear that you, that you heard being given to you to experience them as an externally generated thing when it was actually what he was saying was it was actually their own um, their own volition, but it was sort of like dissociated. So they weren't really experiencing their volition as an internal phenomenon. It was project as if it was projected externally at them and they were being commanded by a God or an entity to do something. And so they, as a puny human, they felt compelled to do it. They didn't feel like they had a choice as such, which I found really interesting. Fascinating. It really so, is. It, yeah, it is. And uh, eventually that, that faculty, that, that mode of consciousness um, went away. We, we evolved into something slightly different. And so then here we are. <laughs> right. Or we devolved. I mean, that's because we have this twin program of religious religion and quote unquote science that it seems like a, a massive program designed to pull the wool over the uh, our eyes, our collective eyes, in terms of who we really are, what our natural environment is, what our planet is, our relationship to it, our relationship to each other, and our relationship to the cosmos. Everything is being put through a kind of lens that I can't help thinking is a kind of archontic lens. And speaking of metastasis, uh, we've, we're seeing, you know, this cancerous growth of the archontic mind in our hive-like culture right now. It's very disturbing. And I was wondering, taking this back to the reincarnation discussion, there are people who write about archons or do podcasts about, about archons. And if you don't know what an archon is, I mean, you know, it's, it's a complex subject, but they're, uh, the, the Gnostic view of archons as interpreted by John Lash is that they are extraterrestrial beings that are 
sort of half biological, half cyborg, perhaps, and they control humanity by using a kind of uh, mental parasite action where they are, they're actually like thought controllers or manipulators. And their, their, their gift, uh, if you want to call it that, is the ability to use illusion or simulacrum to create the appearance of reality or the appearance of something na natural, whereas it's actually are quantified and artificial. So that would be the ultimate in this, if this is true, that's the, that, that is who the enemy quote unquote is of humanity. So it's not really people on this planet who might be doing the bidding of the archons. The ultimate enemy or the ultimate adversary, uh, which may ultimately be a kind of beneficial catalyst to our evolution would be the, the archons. So um, you have a lot of people out there in YouTube land and, and, and podcast Alangia who are, you know, describing the archons in a lot of different ways. And one of the, one of the, I don't know, meme or uh, stories you hear is that they're really the ones that control our reincarnation. And if you walk towards the light, then you're just you're just giving yourself over to a reincarnation into this matrix reality, as opposed to being able to exit it somehow. I have no idea what I think about that, but that's a pretty common story. Have you heard that? And what do you think about it if you have? Yeah, I started seeing that stuff years ago and, um, and there was the whole like reverse, reverse speech thing, you know, where they were playing people's, you know, important people's famous people's speeches like presidents and stuff backwards. And they were deriving, you know, the the true message so to speak you know as they saw it from their their reversed speech um but the thing about there's two things i want to say firstly just quickly the idea of you know that whole like don't go into the light because you're going to be parasitized by the archons and you'll be you know all this that kind of thing like this is this is a prison and the reincarnation's a trap and all that kind of stuff um after being in this realm doing this this study for you know at least 18 years now um there isn't really any credible, I would, I mean, I hesitate to use the word evidence because that kind of connotes something tangible or solid, but, you know, there's not really a lot of logic or evidence to back it in terms of the available information out there. It's like the second part of what I'm, my response to it is that aside from saying that, you know, we can't really sort of support that in terms of the available evidence and we have massive amounts of information out here, um, and then there's the, that sort of subset of people who think that this is what's happening with the, you know, don't go into white people. But firstly, from where I stand, spending a lot of time here, that appears to be quite wrong. Um, and I say that just as someone who's just been interested in whatever the hell the truth happens to be. And, you know, I've just been doing this for a long time. But the second part of it is there is this sort of, in the collective consciousness, there's like a layer of... Um, I, I don't know, I, you can conceptualize it almost like an astral layer or something, some kind of astral fantasia, a fantasy bubble of the collective that we're, we're, all, we're all kind of in the collective, but we can tap into this. And it's like, if you tap into it, say, clairvoyantly, you can see, I mean, you can find, you can go and find Santa Claus out in a remote viewing session out in the astral planes. You can find Superman, out, you know, having an out-of-body experience because you're out in this thought form realm where, you know, virtually anything goes. I mean, anything we've ever thought of exists somewhere in these, these occult planes. And so there's this layer of fantasy that is 
very much kind of like an evolving movie line and it's incorporated over the decades. It started to incorporate more and more things. It's like there's this Star Wars kind of kind of theme and like good versus evil and this war in heaven, which is a very ancient idea, you know, the war in heaven. Um, that's like from biblical times. And, and we've been elaborating on this war in heaven idea. And it's actually playing out in this kind of astral bubble fantasia. Um, and that's where people start tapping into this stuff about, you know, a lot of this stuff don't go into the light. You know, we're in a prison, it's a trap, this, this kind of thing. And you can, you can sort of see that people are, they're kind of being misled and manipulated in a sense because they're tapping into this layer of the unconscious where it, it's like if you conceptualise the collective unconscious as a being or an entity, or, and, you know, my friend Nick Sandbrook refers to it as it, it, it has kind of like this, it doesn't want to be kind of like discovered and found out, um, and it also is kind of childlike at the same time. So it's got these fantasies going that it treats as real, but it uses this material, this kind of like movie script type material to mesmerize us and beguile us and distract us with all these incredible, you know, notions and fantasies. And it's very, very tempting a lot of the time and very easy for us to fall into these, these little rabbit holes and, and get sucked into it and end up hypnotized. And that's something I see happening a lot, but I didn't realize it took me quite a long time to see that layer of it. Because if you compare the, if you look at the, the near death experience realm and that massive body of research uh, which you know i'm quite familiar with at this point and you look at then at the this side of it with the you know the more sort of you know not to be disparaging but like this more kind of paranoid um astral kind of fantasia where they think that you know you shouldn't go into the light because it's a trap there's there's a chasm between the two of them and it's like okay well how do you reconcile that and it's the only real like the only real way to do it is to start understanding that I'll, I'll, like I'm explaining this in my own sort of idiosyncratic fumbling way, but there's two there's two layers. It's like there's the MDE stuff, which is actually giving you deep, like deep le uh, levels of experience that filter out all the sort of astral fantasia, anything goes type stuff. And then you've got that that layer there, which is this bubble that we're all in, um, and we're all fueling it all the time. We're constantly adding material into it, like you know we talk about. Um, something, you know, like the Archons and the Gnostic uh, mythology so suddenly comes onto everybody's radar. And then you've got all these minds pumping this energy and these thought forms and ideas into the collective unconscious layer. And it's, it's soaking it up, soaking it up. And it's like, okay, well, I'm going to start feeding this back to you now. And you're going to start you know, having experiences that, that support this, this belief structure. And, you know, I'm going to hypnotize you with this um, because you seem to, you seem to like it and you seem to want to, you know, <laughs> want me to play like this. So I'm going to do that. Um, and so it's a weird feedback loop that we're in, but there's, there's, there's two very different worlds there that, that kind of have to be separated, I think. And that's, that's a, a very interesting kind of a, an, a discussion in itself. Well, you were on a roll. That was really good stuff. I mean, let me, so let me, let me break it down. Then you're basically saying that, that, in, that there's a kind of pop culture version of what happens with the, the, the death experience. And then there's all of this data that's been collected by near-death experience researchers that you, you would suggest or you are suggesting is, is much more credible. And that this is just a natural process that happens when we take away all the pop culture. That's a really good way of putting it. That's exactly right. And pop culture is, is the right word because if you look at the realm of uh, contact experiences and you know abduction experiences with with 
what people are calling aliens and this kind of thing, a lot of it is is uh, can be characterized as as visionary type experiences. But you'll see there are famous. There are actually some really well known examples, and I'm just trying to think of the woman's name now. It's, it's not coming to me, but a famous uh, American lady who had an experience where she was abducted by what she saw as aliens. Um, some small, I think, some small graves and some, some bigger ones and some uh, Nordic-looking types. And uh, and then I think there was some talk by the aliens about Jesus at some point. They supposedly believed in Jesus. Uh, but if you so you can see there's this mis mishmash of of like archetypes and and thought forms starting to come together in this the the, the realm of visionary experience. So um, it's sort of like you need to take a step back from the visionary experience and and look at it from a more meta symbolic mythological level because that's kind of what it is. It's a mythological level. You're tapping into the collective unconscious layer of kind of like all the stuff that we've ever thought up, conjured up, imagined, been afraid of, all the fantasy stuff, all the Star Wars stuff, all the superheroes, and it's all there in, in this sort of bubble. And, um, and this woman's experience, which was what I wanted to, to go back to with the pop culture thing, with that, those types of experiences, in some instances, and definitely not all of them, and I'm, I'm not a debunker at all, like there's definitely something very interesting happening there, but a lot of those experiences have been found subsequently to be seeded by ideas in pop culture. And then whether it's, you know, through the, uh, the, the mind of the individual themselves who they've, they've encountered something in pop culture that has then gone into their subconscious and it's been reproduced and projected out in a visionary type experience, you know, years down the track, or, you know, it's just something they've tapped into in the collective you know, like the Jesus thing. And now Jesus is, is, is um, you know, he's got believers and acolytes in the alien races, you know, it's because it's all coming together. It's all kind of convalescing, uh, sorry, coalescing. And, um, and, and it's all right with me. Say again? Jesus is just all right with me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. you know, the, isn't that the Doobie Brothers? <laughs> maybe, maybe. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's an interesting one. So, uh, gosh, oh, there's just, I mean, you know, the tendrils of this conversation are massive. Okay, let me give you a quote, and then I want to give a, a funny quote that, that, uh, of my own, uh, and then I want to ask a question. So, Carl Jung said, knowing your own darkness is the best method for dealing with the darknesses of other people. Mm -hmm. I've been mm -hmm. looking at all this wonderful content by Kelly Brogan, Dr. Kelly Brogan on spiritual bypass. And so I'll, I'll put a link to spiritual, this, um, some of her, uh, one of her articles on spiritual bypass, which is basically what's happening with all of these goody two shoes leftists who are willing to sacrifice your individual choice for the, you know, alleged good of the herd or whatever. So um, now my quote is from my book, it's a book of satire called the angel's dictionary that you kindly reviewed years ago. I, I published it in 2017 and I defined shadow side thus noun. So shadow side noun self you encounter when you do not look in the mirror. Hmm. I like that. All right. So is it the collective shadow self? Yeah, essentially. That really sheds a lot of light on it. You're what you've said going into my question, because that, you know, now you can begin to see how the shadow self takes form and how it evolves or changes and, and how it operates. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And it does change. It, it, uh, it keeps up with the times. That is really, really fascinating. So um, 
let's talk about the politics of shame now that we've mentioned spiritual bypass and and how how that's working on a collective level you know uh, I would like listeners to uh, viewers to know that uh, Brendan is a facilitator of the Regenetics Method, which is a an energy healing technique, uh, a DNA activation technique that I developed with my partner Lee, and he was one of the early facilitators that we that we taught how to do this work, and he's been doing it for years now, and it does a wonderful job. So if you're interested in Regenetics, I encourage you to go to Brendan's website and 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 connect with him. Uh, and and let him do it for you because it's it's pretty amazing stuff. I mean, I'd love to get your you know some of your uh, current thoughts on on the work. But you know, in in regenetics, there's this concept of the fragmentary body. Eileen McCusick called it the slavery yoke. You've you've written an article about it. I'll I'll try to remember to put a link about the fragmentary body in the in the show notes for your uh, the article you wrote about it. But here we are with uh, what I I. I view it as a kind of hole in our in our subtle anatomy through which foreign entities like archons or etheric parasites or whatever you want to call it can actually get a, get a grip in, in us in in our minds and and maybe maybe it's the shadow side doing that maybe the it reaches in there and and it gets a hold of you in some strange way because you wrote about the experience of sealing the fragmentary body through regenetics as a way of kind of uh, not only raising your energy and your kundalini, but of increasing your ability to stand up for yourself, to speak your truth, and to release uh, things like this collective shaming that's going on. Um, I'd love your thoughts on on that rambling question. <laughs> um, would you want to hone it down a bit for me? <laughs> yeah. Um, do you see utility in doing potentiation, for example, which is the first part of Regenetics, do you see utility in helping people go beyond this duality programming that's happening with the politics of shame? Yeah, I mean, in, in, in an indirect way, like I, I think that, that the process facilitates that kind of thing because what I see it doing is it turns people inwards to identify the, the true locus of the self and the what is authentic for them, what is true for them, um, which means that, you know, how can you continue to invest in the, the absolute bollocks of, you know, all the, the politics and all this other garbage swirling around you if you are actually connected to what is true in, inside of you? Because I mean that whole thing, that whole world is is this this construct of of make believe and nonsense, um, and so you know I mean speaking of the pain body, it's like we have a, a society that is uh, very kind of like well designed in some ways to facilitate disempowerment and shame and foster weakness and weakness of spirit, weakness of the you know people having no backbone and not standing up for themselves. And I see your your processes as um you know creating an internal condition that allows people to stop participating in that dynamic and actually makes it almost gradually more and more difficult to, to participate in it because it becomes tangibly so at odds with the with with truth and reality because it is so fake. I mean, that whole world is absolutely fake. Um, it's nonsense. None of it's rational or logical or based in any kind of evidence. It's like, it's so, so wrong. I've but been so saying many follow the seance. 
Say that again. Follow the seance. Follow the seance. Yeah, yeah. And and people, you know, we're we're born into this indoctrination machine that really, even though it's not explicitly stated, the message of all of the the, the like schooling and and all the other nonsense that comes after it is to obey external authority figures and you know not trust in yourself not believe in yourself not connect to yourself and not connect to reality and the way you connect with reality is internally through you know that spark of of the eternal inside of you and then once you do that it's like game over for all the, the other rubbish around you so you know that article you wrote years ago i, I brought it up it's it's on my website at phoenix center uh, phoenixregenetics.org it's a timeline for kundalini rising energetic liberation and answering the soul's call and I, I still like that title a lot and i think you just you touched on some of the major points there where uh what, what i've observed and what you seem to have observed is that people experiencing this work tend to go through some kind of consciousness and or energy upgrade that makes them have to really sort of look in the mirror back to the shadow side uh, conversation we were having. And that in doing that and going inside themselves, knowing your darkness is the best method for dealing with the darknesses of other people, Carl Jung, as people do that, they, they, they can look back out at the world and then begin to see it for what it actually is and then decide what they wanna do <laughs> in terms of coming to terms with it, in terms of uh, whether to reject it or to, you know, be like Cypher and, 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 and be put back in a pod, which is very, very difficult to do once your energy is, is increasing. People sometimes have actually said to me, I wish I, you know, had stayed asleep. It's made it hard. And that's usually a phase of the awakening process that I see with people going through regenetics. Uh, which is a, a lengthy process. It's about you know 27 months if you stay right on the timeline. Um, but a lot of stuff can happen you know very quickly uh, with this work. But it's funny. I've I've seen people who have you know because when those eyes open up and you begin to see the world as it is. I mean, how do you see your spouse? How do you see you know people that you might have trusted, colleagues, other family members? It it can be a it can be a bumpy ride. <laughs> you're, uh, you're not wrong. You actually reminded me of, I have a, a, a beautiful little friend. <laughs> Sounds like I'm talking about an animal, but she's a human, human lady. <laughs> um, in, in, back in Australia, <clears throat> a good friend of ours. And uh, she, not that long ago, she was telling me off and scolding me because she had gone for a walk with her boyfriend. Um, and they were going up for a walk up, like hiking up a mountain. And at some point, like apparently the uh, the atmosphere was a little bit maybe a little bit off a little bit tense a little bit quiet quieter than normal and at some point she just sort of stopped and turned to him and went like we we should break up shouldn't we like it was something like that it was just like out of the blue like we shouldn't be together should we um and and that was basically the end of their relationship right there on the hike up the mountain. And she, she was telling me off. She was like, damn it, Brendan. You know, like, I blame your activations because that's, that's what happens. And, and it's, I've seen this, this process play out. Probably you've seen it 10 times more where someone's in a relationship that's not really authentically true in terms of who they really are, like deep down. 
And, you know, you do this activation for them, potentiation, and it kicks the process off and they start shedding illusion and they start shedding inauthenticity and connecting with the truth of who they are. And then suddenly they can't be with that partner anymore because they realize it's like, ah, oh, this isn't actually, this isn't for me, this isn't right. <laughs> so I've been told off a couple of times. Yeah, it's happened to me. And it can also be with like your job, your career. It can be with all kinds of different situations. So not just a relationship. And if, if the movie ended right there, it would be a tragedy. Fortunately for most people, if you fast forward six months, a year, their lives are like reinvented and they've met the, their life partner and they're really, really happy. They just had to go through this shedding, kind of this emotional detoxification process or mental or even spiritual. And of course, sometimes physical detoxification process. Yeah, totally, yeah. totally. But I really see this as obviously we know that this is not for the masses at this point in time, but the more people who manage to, to, do some do this process or something like this process the more empowered people we will have out there to counter the politics of shame the the spiritual bypassers and i also believe that one of us is worth many of them in terms of the energy involved so that we actually have the ability to counterbalance thousands or tens of thousands of people when we arrive at higher levels mm. Yeah, I think you're right, actually. I think there's something to that for sure. Um, because, you, like you said, you know, you, you, you are operating on a high frequency. There's a higher, um, it's like you're running on a different kind of fuel. You know, you've upgraded to premium and they're still running on like the discounted stuff. And um, yeah, we have, we have a level of intent. I think there's an intentionality as well with, with people who are awake. They tend to live more intentionally. And uh, as you know, like intention programs the you know if you want to call it the morphic field it programs the morphic field with information you can program a space you can program an empty room with information and instructions and intention um and a lot of people most people i would say because of the nature of the the you know culture or the civilization that we have they don't live intentionally and they're just going with the flow whatever the direction the other the other sheep are walking in they just walk with them you know it's like there's no intention there. And so their ability to, to impact things is, is I think, um, um, similarly restricted. So, yeah, it's great if we can, we can um, get this work in front of more people and get more people to start tapping into what's real and authentic for them. I mean, the whole system is designed to keep you in the opposite condition. So, I mean, far out, man. You, we can see where that's gotten us over the last two years. I mean, that whole propaganda machine is preying on people's internal unresolved shame unresolved senses sense of inferiority you know all that stuff i mean it just exploits it absolutely so you know maybe as a way of wrapping up this conversation i mean i feel like we could just go on and on and on and maybe we can do this again before too long if you'd be amenable to that for sure but what are your thoughts on on the awakening and what's happening and, and what are we looking at here in the next year, two years, or, you know, even the next few months for that matter. But how do you see this playing out on a, on a global scale? Obviously we have a, a real attempt to subdue, uh, depopulate and control humanity going on. So where are we in this, in this fight? Or is that a, a bad word to use, you know. I, I mean, the sacred masculine in me really wants to use the word fight because that's what it feels. Like. 
But the sacred feminine in me wants to say, no, this is more of a Wu Wei situation. And if you want to call it fighting, let's maybe just call it Aikido. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, I kind of, I, I lean more in the, I mean, as much as this might sound odd for people who've known me for years, like I lean more in the latter direction now. Um, <clears throat> and I think that firstly, you know, I've heard from a, a few different people who analyze, you know, like astrological charts and numerology and things that the timeline for things really, really materially changing in terms of getting through this, this, um, you know, taking the boot off the face of humanity. Humanity is probably somewhere from 2024 to 2026, where we actually really have the the uh, turning of the tide, um, which isn't maybe not the best news because far out, man, I've had enough and I'm sure most people have. Yeah, right. But, uh. Yeah, it's just like the, the, what I see, though, is that this process is the the some version of the process that, millions and millions of people needed to either wake up and take responsibility for themselves and their lives and their thoughts and beliefs and their health, obviously, um, or, you know, just basically be stomped on and, and you know, depopulated. Um, and so we've seen, we've seen both happening in, in pretty high numbers. Uh, and I think that this is a, this is a sort of in some way, you know, from a high level, it's like an organic kind of a, um, an event, even though it's obviously at a ground level, it's highly, highly manipulated and contrived. Um, you know, there is no virus, for example, but but it's it's a necessary part of the un, the evolutionary unfoldment of humanity for where we're at right now, and trying to trying to grasp at or move up to that next octave of of beingness where we can be sovereign, uh, you know, self ruled beings who are autonomous and in charge of ourselves. But it takes this kind of like trial by fire sometimes to, to push people in that direction. And a lot of people will not go in that direction under any circumstances whatsoever. So there's always going to be that percentage of the population who's going to, you know, want to wear a mask forever. But there's also the ones who are going to, you know, come over to this side where it's like, oh, you know what, I, I don't believe this stuff anymore. I'm going to think for myself here. You know, I've looked at the evidence and it doesn't make sense. You know, like this kind of thing where we take ownership of ourselves. So I see that happening more and more. Like we've got, I think we, we may slowly be approaching the S curve. Like we've got heaps of momentum all around the world in terms of protests and convoys and all this stuff happening, right? So there's, there's a popular uh, groundswell of, of activism happening, which we've never seen ever. And the reason for that is because we've never ever seen a global scam on this scale before. And people are starting to rebel against it and stand, take a stand. So we need structural change to come from that. And uh, that's going to take longer. Like, you know, doing a protest isn't, isn't much good unless there's some kind of structural shift in, in the world of, you know, politics and, you know, finance and all that kind of thing. Like we need to drain the swamp and this, this type of stuff. So I see the next 12 months, maybe two years, hopefully not that long as potentially being... Um, you know, pretty, pretty bumpy and pretty, pretty chaotic because I don't think that this death cult is going to, um, you know, they're clearly not going to give up without a fight. Like it's going to be, they, they will have to be removed. They're not just going to lay down and say, oh, well, we gave it a shot. You know, <laughs> like right. that's just not, right. in, it's not, it's not, not on the cards. So 
I hope it doesn't last until 2026, like some people are, are suggesting. Um, but I don't know, and I don't think I don't think anyone does because the wild card is the the individual. The wild card is the individual stepping out of collectivism and taking ownership and growing up and stopping stopping living like an infant and becoming you know what they're supposed to be, which is a functional, spiritually aware, awakened, empowered adult in a human you know human meat suit. <laughs> Well and truly stated. So speaking of cards, have the globalists overplayed their hand? Well, I think it it, it kind of, yeah, in a sense, like, you know, they, they've done something that has forced people to wake up and recognise that they're actually there and that they exist and that they're the puppet masters pulling the strings. And, um, you know, like it's it's sort of this weird weird situation like we we didn't want this to happen but it had to happen it was necessary and we didn't you know like it's it's a weird thing to watch them try so hard to to put the boot down and then in the process they 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 come unstuck because they're they're so like we've never seen them so overt and so flagrantly um you know public in their their desire to to control and be and you know tyrannize people and this kind of thing so i think in that sense they're exposing themselves uh, and they have overplayed their hand and that's going to that's going to bite them in the butt over the next two or three years i think big time so speaking of the next two or three years i recently did an interview with bear lando i think he was on your podcast at one point is that true yeah, yeah he's good he's a really interesting fellow and uh the the podcast was titled surviving and thriving through the great awakening here at the end of kali yuga and I was uh, sharing with him a 2017 article from uh, which uh, which of the it's not Nexus it's the other one. There's another another really big New Dawn. Sorry, was it New Dawn? Yes, it, it might have been New Dawn. I think it was New Dawn. Yes, cool. that, that that I believe that's what it was. And so it was a, an Indian scholar writing about uh, the, the end date of the Kali Yuga. And it was the most compelling article on the subject I've ever seen. And he concluded with, you know, just copious citation and very, very astute reading between the lines of certain situations that the end of Kali Yuga is 2025. Okay. All right. So, so the timing would be perfect. Now the, you know, one issue is that there's a kind of twilight of Kali Yuga that goes on for about 300 years, according <laughs> to this, this way of looking at things. So it's not, you know, as if we can expect the world to change overnight, unless there is some kind of discontinuous event, this go round, you know, who knows, it's at least possible. I believe in, uh, you know, the potential for, as Bruce Lipton would put it, spontaneous evolution. So, you know, I'm, I'm open and, and hopeful in that sense. Um, so, Listen, we have covered an amazing amount of uh, material and we've gone down some really interesting rabbit holes. I'd like to uh, just give you the opportunity to, to share, uh, to reiterate any of your contact information and to let people know what uh, other projects besides the new book you might be working on or if you want to give people a kind of ETA and when that book might show up or, you know, I don't want to, you know, make you uh, say something you will regret, you know, and when, when, <laughs> when the book inevitably takes longer as books do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> as, as you will know. Um, 
I'm, my intention is because this year is actually the believe it or not I can't believe I'm saying it but it's the 10 year anniversary of book it's one amazing I remember you know reading that for to give it a review and to help with a little bit of the editorial stuff and it was you know I was out in Palm Springs California and it just seems like a lifetime ago I'm in Florida now so yeah yeah so yeah I'm hoping I mean my intention is this year and I think I've, I haven't had an opportunity um to write since the baby was born until now now that we're here Imagine that. In Mexico, I know, right? It's funny how kids just, I thought I was going to have heaps of free time. Right. <laughs> but um, yeah, my intention is to have it done this year. So it's like the 10 year anniversary and then we do book two as well. And I'll do a revised a revised version of book one as well. Um, so I hope people lock it into their, in the back of their minds that book two is is something that so I think it's going to be a bit, a little bit special. I don't want to talk it up too much, but I think it's going to be good. And, you know, if they're wanting to like, if, they're, if they've had enough of, you know, the censored platforms and stuff, we've always got truth, truth.network, which, you know, is, is free of censorship, censorship, which Amy and I started back in 2018 after Facebook lovingly shut down our Facebook page. Uh, um, yes, I remember. So, yeah, yeah. So, kicked um, me off. Know, Twitter kicked me off. So, you know, it's a badge of honor at this point. It really is. It really is. So yeah, I think a lot of people are, you know, have had enough of those those types of places. And um, yeah, it's it's uh, if they want to follow me on, you know, whatever social platform uh, aside from Truth, it you know you can look up Brendan D Murphy official. And um, what am I forgetting? Truthiverse.com is where the podcast is. Right. And are you planning on getting on Truth Social when that uh, kicks off? This is the this is the new Trump platform that's supposed to happen soon. <laughs> I can't believe he called it truth. <laughs> I know. I, I wanted to talk to you about that. It's like, stole your word, man. I know, right? If only I... T-R-O-O-T-H. Yeah, yeah, T-R-O-O-T-H, yeah. Well, I don't know. I mean, I'm spread pretty thin. Like, I'm, <laughs> I'm just going where, the, uh, yeah, where, where it's functionally, pragmatically useful at this point. <laughs> right, yeah, I'm the same way. I think I'm going to uh, start an account there and see what's happening i i anticipate that there will be a lot of activity and a lot of craziness but uh, who knows you know? yeah yeah i'm sure i'm sure it'll be interesting to start with well uh I, I i hope you will give amy my best and um maybe we can um and you know i look forward to you know actually meeting you guys one of these days we've had one of these digital relationships for a very long time and uh you know, maybe maybe we can get you up to Florida when the when these crazy mandates uh, go away. Yeah, yeah, I hear Florida's relatively laid back about it at the moment. It's probably the freest place on planet Earth at the moment. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's kind of gone on my short list of other options aside from Mexico. So yeah, I'd like yeah, to get well, up. If you ever want to come up here, let me show you around. We have a guest room. You could hang out and uh, see if you like it here. I mean, it's very cool and. Um, laid back and hopefully it will be going into the future so it would be fun to uh share this place which i've really come to to love and i'll take you out body surfing man we'll uh we'll catch some waves so i live right across from the beach so it's it's uh really nice awesome that sounds good man all right deal oh uh, yeah so we're, we're on for that and uh i'll also i'll get you the information about this video when it's when it's up and, and ready uh, to be shared and all that and you, you know feel free to share it if you wanted to on, on in your world and um we'll go from there awesome mate thank you i'll be sure to share it around when i get the get the nod thanks for having me on dude it's been great fun oh yeah well thanks for for being on it was a lot of fun and uh i love you brother and, and uh, we'll talk soon okay likewise all right man take care take care see ya